0: This is the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you hit that like, subscribe, and notifier button so you can be aware whenever a new episode is available. Also, leave a comment and a review. We would really appreciate that. And now, off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.
1: I'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, RX Smart Gear. Dave and his team have developed the perfect jump rope to counter common performance miscues, which in turn enhance the learning experience. They have an ergonomic grip and a swivel connection for better accuracy, and the resistance levels have helped with better timing. And the custom sizes promote proper form and technique. It's built durable to stand up to the rigors of intense workouts, and it was in fact prescribed to help you get better. That's how the RX Smart Gear Jump Rope was born. Dave Newman and his team have been a great partner for us in the podcast, and we appreciate him so much for all of his support. So don't forget to use the Clydesdale 15 discount code at checkout and get 15% off your order at rxmarkyear.com. And don't forget that that excludes new releases
0: and special editions. We are so excited to now have Mobility Movement as a partner. Their holistic approach to recovery is second to none. This is not just a program that helps with your flexibility and mobility. It also assists with stress release and sleep, two key factors in overall recovery. The website gives you a plan for, for each week, saves your favorites, gives you sleep protocols, has a specific protocol for your first week joining. And then there are these new things called open snacks, which are super cool. Here you are given quick warm-ups and cool-down protocols for the open wads, featuring elite athletes Allison Scuds and Saxon Panchik. And who doesn't need recovery after those open workouts? The extensive library available to you is both vast and diverse. If you want to try Mobility Movement, go to mobilitymovement.com. That is MobilityMVMNT.com. And make sure you use our code Clydesdale20, all caps, to get 20% off your first six months. That's mobilitymovement.com, mobilitymvmnt.com. Use code Clydesdale20 to get 20% off your first six months. I've been using this since the first of the year and I am sleeping better than I have in so many years. And with all the back issues I've had over the last five years, this has given me so much relief and I'm able to work out four to five times a week without any pain at all. So go to mobilitymovement.com, that's mobilitymvmnt.com and use Clydesdale 20 to get 20% off your first six-month subscription. All right, we are live right here with Kelly Stone, one of our friends on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends. I also have my co-host, Charlie, with me, uh, or as we call him, Mr. Mobility. That's right. Hello. <laughs> So Kelly, this is your third appearance on our show. We're so excited to have you back.
1: Yep. So happy to be here. You guys, I think we're still one of my very first podcasts and one of my favorites to date. So I'm excited to be back.
0: Awesome. So you were one of our first ever guests. So I may touch on a few things we touched on back then because we have way more listeners now than we did back on like episode 22 or whatever it was you were on. We're now on 256. Wow, that's so cool. So, um, so if you don't know, Kelly is a two-time CrossFit Games participant in the team division, T E A M division with CrossFit Omnia, Omnia. Yeah. Yep. And um, she's also a belly flop champion. <laughs> she was a state champion gymnast in high school. She was a Division One college swimmer. Um, and because she just likes to overachieve with everything academics were through the roof. She's a doctor of physical therapy and now trying to make the CrossFit games as an individual.
1: That is <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: We always say that you're like the most overachieving guest we've ever had.
1: <laughs> I just like to do all the things and, uh, it's a little overwhelming at times, but it's just, just, always been ingrained in me to do that.
0: And we didn't even mention that you are um, best friends with The Rock and competed on the Titan Games.
1: <laughs> I did. That was a whirlwind. And I think that was right around the time that we first talked because I remember I couldn't uh, I couldn't chat about it. And you were asking me questions and I was like, oh, no, panicking on the inside.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, what I want to touch on now is when we first met you, you were just kind of getting into the individual side of CrossFit. So I'm looking at some numbers from last couple seasons. And last year in the quarterfinals, you finished 106th in North America. Went on to the West Coast Classic and finished 8th in a very, very stacked semifinal. That qualified you for the last chance qualifier where you went on to compete there. So I want to look back at that season just a little bit. Did any of your finishes surprise you or did you expect to do that well, or even maybe a little bit more?
1: You know, last year was really the first year I felt like I could get my feet wet in an individual season, you know, COVID kind of threw a wrench in things. I was planning to try to go individual starting in 2020 and then things kind of went awry. So you know 2019 it was or 2021 it was like okay time to time to see what I can do um I think I've mentioned before I don't feel like quarterfinals last year was a super accurate representation of my abilities so I think a lot of people were surprised at the improvement if you will from quarterfinals to semis but in all uh, honesty I was a disaster at quarterfinals last year there's a lot of mental hurdles during that weekend of competing that I have targeted tremendously. And we can talk more about that through some sports psychology and things. But I was so excited just to get onto the next phase to just have a fresh start and show what I could do. So going into semifinals, I won't lie to you and say I wasn't looking at that field and going, holy moly, this is stacked. Like, how am I going to compare against these people, I really didn't know. All I could say is, hey, I'm an athlete, I'm competitive, I'm going to show up and do my best. And I was really proud of what I did that, that competition. And I don't know if I can say I was surprised, but I was happy to feel like I showed my abilities and that I was able to kind of stack up against some of the most amazing athletes in the sport.
0: So I was lucky enough to be at West Coast Classic last year. And you opened the competition by basically kicking in the door that first event. And you were the, I wish I could have seen you in the top heat. I know you were in the first heat and you were so far in front of everybody. And it was the, I know there, it was um, a ladder.
1: Snatch ladder. A snatch
0: yep. ladder. And you were crushing everyone. What do you, Do you wish you could have been in that top heat as well?
1: You know, I think looking back, it was a good opportunity for me just to, you know, I'm still kind of playing mentally with quarterfinals kind of in the back of my head. And so I think, honestly, as much as I would have loved to be in that last heat, it was a good start for me just to kind of as a confidence builder, just to go in, to stay in my lane, do what I needed to do to start off the competition strong. And it was like, okay, like I'm here to play. Um, I think I have a little bit different mindset going into this season and it's obviously a bigger advantage being around that group. And I wonder if I had had some more, um, you know, individuals in the top heat around me, if that would have maybe even pushed me a little bit further in that event, but it was one of the most memorable events of my life. Just being able to go in, hit everything and just feel really strong and confident. So all said and done, I don't think it was necessarily a bad thing.
0: Yeah. I think what it did is it gave everyone notice that you weren't meant to be in that bottom heat, that you were meant to be in a, in a higher heat and you were followed the rest of the weekend. Um, so you finished that competition in eighth place, which is three spots out of the games, but starting in the first heat and then ending up in eighth place was a huge jump. And I talked to you briefly after that, and you qualified for last chance, but there was some trepidation about that because you live in altitude. So, so what does that mean? Um, to explain it to our listeners that there's a disadvantage for those athletes who live in Colorado or in Vegas, where they have to train at altitude and compete in these online qualifiers in altitude
1: yeah it's one of those things that i like to acknowledge but realize that there's no point whining about it most of the time um i would say notoriously myself and you know even my my team competing at you know crossfit omnia we always tend to do better in person and i think a big piece of that is the altitude factor you know i think i'm hyper aware to it because as a swimmer for usa swimming we were given time accommodations for swimming at altitude. So anything over, let's say 100 meters, you were given a time adjustment for qualifying for things like nationals and those things. So that's something you're looking at as short as maybe a two minute event. So if you're doing a 20 minute AMRAP at 5000 feet plus, like it is quite a big disadvantage. So ultimately, I feel like it balances out because when I go compete at places that are not quite so high, it's definitely an advantage. I think I'm able to not that it necessarily feels easier at lower levels, but just my output ends up being more. You know, I go to Guadapalooza. There's a reason why I feel like my team, every year we go to Guadapalooza, we tend to do okay in the qualifier and then really excel once we get down there. And it's like because you just have this like extra gear that you don't necessarily have up here. So I'm adjusted. I've lived here, but it's just hard to maintain the same level of output as if you are competing at sea level or something equivalent
0: to that. So you didn't fare as well in the last chance qualifier. And then we move on to this season. You made a considerable jump in quarterfinals. And I'm glad you brought up there were adjustments made because it may explain why last year you were 106th in North America. This year, you're 27th. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A lot of things changed this season and um, it's been, it's been a wild ride. But (laughs) I'm excited for it.
0: so what, what all did you do to get better? What did, first of all, I'm assuming that there was a debrief from last season. Sure.
1: Yep. Um, so I have a coach that I've worked with for a long time and we sat down right after last season and kind of just laid it all out there, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think one of the biggest things we realized is we neither of us felt like i was really set up for success kind of going into quarterfinals i think because it was a new phase we nobody really knew what to expect and i know i personally was thinking it would be a lot more open like if you will and a lot less um higher skill higher volume which it ended up being and you know i know i'm not alone in in that and it's whatever they decide, I think that's ultimately a good way to gauge that stage. But I just didn't feel like I had trained at that point of my season for that amount of volume. So I remember being very caught off guard when quarterfinals came around. Um, I also feel like last season I put too much emphasis on the open and it's hard not to because I think we're programmed to think that that stage, it matters, we're competitive. You wanna put your best foot forward. But ultimately one of the biggest things we decided is, the open really doesn't matter and if you are stressing yourself out starting that early in the season by the time you get to semifinals and honestly i feel like i held it together through semifinals and i got to the weekend of the last chance qualifier and i was so burnt out like just mentally and not even physically exhausted just mentally exhausted because i had been stressing myself out so much since january um through that June, June time period, it's just a long time. And I think that actually ended up being July. So it's a long time to put that amount of stress. Um, and I'm a very anxious, high anxiety person. So um, you know, we re kind of the season, what things do I need to get better at one big one for me has been running, you know, that was my only I would say really poor finish at West uh, Coast Classic was the ruck run and I gave it everything I got like that was not for lack of trying I was just it just wasn't there so that has been a huge emphasis point for me this season we have structured my season a lot differently in terms of strength cycles and endurance and allowing my body to rest in recovery during the off season and then really start to ramp on volume quite a bit earlier so that when you know quarterfinals rolled around i didn't feel like i was getting demolished by the volume i would say honestly quite the opposite and um, beyond that i think the other big change this year has been i started sports psychology to work on some of the mental aspects of training and competing that were hindering me last season
0: so you bring up the ruck run which brings up curiosity in my head um It was hot in Vegas during the West Coast Classic. And hot is an understatement, like 115, 118 degrees, I think. They moved that to a very early morning run. How much of that was mental and how much of it was the actual physical, in the heat, and and the rucks themselves?
1: Yeah, that was, um, I would say probably in my top three, most challenging events that i've ever done and it i think it was a combo of factors you know we we knew the event in advance but we didn't know that we were going to be holding a sandbag in addition to having the rough backpack so when i practiced it i practiced it with the backpack run like they did that event at the games and so there was just a lot of compounding factors you know it's It was great that they moved it earlier in a sense because we got about i don't know maybe five maybe ten degrees cooler but it was not cool um (laughs) even at six or seven a.m when we ran and so that compounding with you know having to like hold a bag on your shoulders i don't know if you've ever done that for four miles but it's brutal um and then i just remember kind of getting about to this halfway point and just like I just was not there anymore and I think I kept looking for water I didn't see the water anywhere they said there was going to be water and I'm sure it was somewhere but I was just I was not all there and by that last lap it was literally everything I got I was I think at one point almost ran into one of the barricades I felt like my vision was going and there's a funny uh YouTube clip I think I have it on my Instagram still of me coming in at that final last stretch and there's a group of people behind me and I'm like oh shoot you know my glasses fall off I'm trying to run but it looks more like a waddle at that point point. and you know I got across the finish line and my coach was like I can't even be mad because like you did literally everything you could it probably took me two hours to feel normal after that like I was sitting on a bike shoveling carbs and electrolytes down my throat he had like wet towels all over me and I was like half convinced that I was done like I was just not going to be able to keep plugging along so It was brutal. (laughs) Definitely advantage if you've been able to train in that type of heat and climate.
0: What was it like having to come into the arena to switch out your ruck bags and then go back out into the heat?
1: Yeah, it it just was not pleasant. I felt like you could just (laughs) never, you know, it was like that glimmer of like, oh, that feels nice. You get that little refresh, but then you're just right back out into it. And it was just brutal. <laughs> I don't know how else to yeah. put it. I just. And it, it took out a out lot so of people. Hot. Yeah. And everybody just went out so hot. Like I remember that first lap. I'm looking down at my watch seeing a six something minute pace. And I'm just going, oh no, this is way too fast, you know. But everybody was just going out hot. And then people started dropping like flies. So, I mean, it was, it was definitely rough. <laughs> when it <laughs> so, goes to show
0: you like training in that. Bethany was almost unaffected.
1: Yeah. She liked she,
0: she cool everybody except for like two of the men.
1: Yep. Cool as a cucumber.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's what she trains in every day. So yeah. 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 Okay. So you, you work with a sports psychologist. What did you learn most in that time?
1: So it's been an ongoing process still. Uh, I actually talked to her this week, but um, I think the biggest thing is that just acknowledging the impact of other stressors in my life and how that impacts my training and competing. So I have a lot on my plate. I like to be a hundred percent in every aspect of my life. And I've had to acknowledge that I simply can't do that. And if this is something that's important to me, I've got to sacrifice some other things and set some more boundaries in my life and make some intentional time to take care of myself. So I feel like that's honestly been the biggest factor is just cutting out some extraneous things, cutting out some extraneous stressors, making some intentional time for myself, and then focusing on some very concrete ways to stay present and calm when I'm competing. So I am not somebody that. On the competition floor, um, especially when it's like an online qualifier, but I don't like to be really riled up. I am not one of these, like, let's go, getting, you know, super anxious. Like, that generally leads to me either going out too hot or making a mistake or just not performing to the best of my abilities. So, we talk about, and I talk about this with my coach a lot, this like optimal arousal points. Like, yes, I want to be you know energetic i want to be focused but it's this like calm confidence it's not this like jittery blah 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 like <laughs> over the top feeling that i think a lot of people think is helpful and actually isn't helpful for someone like me
0: so you are you're still fully practicing your physical therapy right
1: yep yep i still see about and how much third yeah and
0: how do you figure out that balance
1: you know it's tricky i I do the best I can, you know, at this point, I still see 30 to 35 patients a week. It's a combination of pediatrics as well as some adult ortho patients for my own, um, side practice. I also manage a clinical team and I have a PT assistant that I supervise now. So there's a lot of things in that regard. And then I also do some nutrition coaching and run some eight week challenge type stuff around that. So. Balance is hard. That's probably the single biggest thing that I struggle with is finding balance in my life, not feeling guilty about not being present and on 100% of the time because I feel this obligation to get back to people. And even you know when it comes to things like social media that I've really spent some time and energy building up as sort of a business tool. And I just hit, hit these times where I just have to be okay saying, you know what, I just can't get back to everybody today and that's okay. And I have to remind myself of that constantly.
0: Yeah, I, I, it blows me away that you, and this is just that point that you are an overachiever, like that you, you have all of that. Plus you're a nutrition coach, plus all of that. So let me ask you this as a nutrition coach, how has that helped you be an athlete? Because you live the day you live day to day coaching people on how to fuel their body. And now you have to follow those same practices.
1: Yeah, nutrition has played such an important role in my whole career in CrossFit. And I, you know, I I look back, I think we talked about briefly, but in between college swimming and starting CrossFit, I did some bodybuilding shows, which ended up not being my cup of tea, but it sparked my interest in nutrition because I was felt so debilitated by the lack of food that I was given for that sport. And that's kind of part of the process. But I remember starting CrossFit, eating 15 to 1600 calories and thinking that was a lot because i came off of eating seven to eleven hundred calories doing bodybuilding stuff so it took a long time for me to realize hey i definitely need more fuel than this this isn't quite cutting it and i worked with a nutrition coach for close to two years to be able to gradually increase me calorie wise to give me an understanding of how to fuel my body correctly And, you know, got me to a point where I feel pretty comfortable now of listening to my body and knowing kind of what my body needs. So sitting, I mean, it's been amazing now that I eat, you know, 3,000 plus calories a day. I'll even adjust from there based on how I'm feeling. And people think like, oh, she's so lucky that she gets to eat that much. But what they don't realize is that took years of gradual increases. I also train three to four hours a day. And so just having that understanding, for myself, I think fueled this desire to want to help others with their nutrition. And, you know, I'm constantly telling people, this is not a quick fix plan. I am not here. You know, I want to help you see results, but I'm not going to be your person that gives you a 1200 calorie diet and a quick fix plan that you're going to fall off the bandwagon in two to three months. So I think some people get impatient with me at times because I am on the other side of the spectrum. I look at that long term plan. I really encourage, you know, trying to be strong and focus on other things outside of just the scale. Like that's one factor, but not necessarily the most important one. And I try always to lead by example. So if I'm saying, Hey, you know, you need to be consistent, you've got to drink your water, you've got to prioritize sleep, you've got to hit your protein. I try to, Again, lead by example and show those things in my daily life, even when I'm busy and just say, you know what, if it's important to you, you'll find a way and you'll get it done.
0: You know, I feel like I'm bouncing all over the place, but there's so many things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> so I think that's the hardest thing, right? Um, you were a gymnast for 14 years and I know gymnasts notoriously are not eating a lot of calories in a day yep. and then you, you do the bodybuilding so that that reinforces it. And then you try to, now you're trying to eat a lot of calories. I, you know, I've been on a weight loss battle for years. I do not eat enough in a day. And it is the biggest struggle for me because it seems so counterintuitive to what I want to do. And I struggle to get my calories in, in a day. And it's because I, I have this like focus issue when I'm working on something like a podcast or editing or coming up with ideas like I get so laser focused I forget to eat
1: yep very common
0: yeah and so like I can appreciate like trying to get from 700 calories to 3000 I'm I'm struggling to get 2300 in
1: yeah yeah and you're you're not alone in that and I think exactly what you're saying it's so counterintuitive you know I will give people let's say 1900 calories and then they're like well i had 1500 every day this week so that's good right that means that i'll lose weight faster and it's it just doesn't usually work like that because the repercussions of under fueling tend to mean we're not moving as much. We have less energy. We don't have as much energy for workouts. Our sleep kind of goes down. And especially I work with a lot of females where the impact on hormones can be tremendous. So it's this constant battle of saying, eat more. I promise you'll lose more weight in the long run. But it, it sounds crazy. It's still not, I would say, streamlined in society in terms of doing that. And I think, you know, I wish that we just, we had better food education, you know, growing up that like, we actually learned how to structure a plate and how to, you know, fuel ourselves correctly. So it wasn't something that a lot of us are learning later in life. It's a hard change to make, and you know, it's it takes a lot of pre planning and, you know, making it a priority. And I mean, I am 100% the person who will come home from work at 7:30, 8 o'clock, and I'm shoveling 1,500 calories down my throat, and it is not enjoyable. Like I know people think that eating a lot of food is fun. But when you're trying to get it mostly from whole food sources and you're you have a busy schedule, it's not always pleasant.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, my friend Charlie here, he doesn't he doesn't know what a vegetable is. No. Charlie. No. <laughs> and and Dreaming, he's got a six, right? he's got a six pack, which is just so frustrating to me. Frustrating. <laughs> yep. They're donuts, right?
1: Donuts on it. Yeah, Yeah, and it's it's all the things. I think that's one thing I emphasize is that everything matters. And maybe that's overwhelming to people. But if you are eating, let's say, in a calorie deficit, you're doing everything perfect on your diet, but you are not sleeping enough and you're not managing stress, you are not going to see the results that you want. So sleep matters. Hydration matters getting micronutrients, which is what we get from those fruits and veggies, you know, all of those things matter. And so, I mean, to me, that's like an exciting perspective. Like there are so many factors that we can tackle to get you the best possible results. And you don't have to be perfect with any of them, but you do have to be consistent enough across the board and prioritize those things to be able to really make a difference, I think, with what you're doing.
0: Yeah. And it kind of brings me to your Instagram post, I think from this morning. Um, where you were sitting on a foam roller and you said that you had a very unpopular opinion, which really broke my heart because I have Norma Tech boots. I have a Theragun.
1: <laughs> and they're great. I'm not saying they're bad. Uh, but yeah, there's just such an emphasis and it, it's such a marketing ploy of recovery equals X, Y, and Z fancy tool. And don't get me wrong. I love Norma Tech boots. You know, I use different massage equipment. I have, you know, I like to use infrared saunas and they all have a positive role in recovery. But if you are ignoring the basics, it's like the elephant in the room. It's like you're tackling, you know, this X two, 3% of recovery when sleep, hydration, nutrition are all sitting up here. So I always say when people ask me, what do you do for recovery? I sleep a lot. Like sleep is the one thing I'm very passionate about sleep. I could talk to you about sleep for hours. Um, But, you know, sleep, hydration, nutrition, like 100% biggest factors when it comes to
0: recovery. So with all you do, if someone looked at your day schedule, they would think this woman never sleeps.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And yet it is the number one priority in your life.
1: Yep. It is an ongoing joke. You can ask people who know me really well. I am a funny sleeper. I have a lot of sleeping corks, but I take my sleep very seriously.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get better at that. I've actually had a back issue that wakes me up at night and I'm getting that fixed. And so I've gone from like three to four hours to seven. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm having one more procedure hoping to get to eight to nine.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things I've realized, and I think I knew this deep down, but whoop, I started using whoop about maybe three months ago that has really become apparent to me is at least I, and I think this is pretty true across the board, get about an hour less sleep than the time I spend in bed. So a lot of people tell me, Hey, I sleep seven hours a night. And I'm like. You're probably getting six hours of sleep because you're in bed for seven. So, and I'm somebody who also has a very good sleep routine. You know, I wear blue light blockers at nights. I try to limit electronics before bed. You know, I feel like I do a lot of, you know, the right things when it comes to preparing for sleep. And I still get about an hour less sleep than the time I spend in bed. So, realistically, if you're trying to maximize, you know, hormones and recovery, We really need to be at minimum at that seven hours mark. And I would say for me, my body needs a consistent eight hours of actual sleep a night, sometimes more. So, you know, what that just requires for me is, yes, I do not have a typical nine to five job. You know, I think a lot of people especially look at my Instagram and think this girl just works out all day. And it's just, that's what I choose to show you. And I'm just very efficient with my time outside of the gym. Do
0: you still use a weighted blanket?
1: I do still use my weighted blanket. I even have a travel case. I travel with my weighted blanket. It will definitely be with me in semis.
0: <laughs> so you've all you also talked about hydration. Are you a big hydro juggish person or are you
1: I I go through my waves. Um I've definitely done that in the past, but right now I have like just a 40 ouncer that I carry around with me, fill it up a couple mm-hmm. times a day i try to always start my day with a big glass of water before my coffee so that's my motivation to kind of get it in there and then i also drink a ton of ton of water usually with electrolytes and carbs during my workouts so Mm Um, I would say that's another thing that I've really kind of keyed in on this year and learned a lot about is electrolyte balance and salt. I'm very uh, passionate about salt these days, um, as an athlete and the impact that it has on performance. But, um, but yeah, again, all of those things matter. You know, I would say I'm very consistently getting a gallon of water in a day because I just, I have to.
0: Well, before we get back on track with this season, I have to, one story from the West Coast Classic, I have to tell. And that is, I ran into you at the airport on the way out of Vegas Uh and your mom made me feel like the biggest rock star in the world.
1: My mom, she's so, that's so funny.
0: (laughs) She came running over to me. Oh my gosh, it's the Clydesdale. And I, I just felt like a rock star and she is so cute. And uh, it was like the highlight of my weekend.
1: I, I love that. She will absolutely be listening to this podcast, so she'll get a kick out of that. But yeah, I honestly, I cannot speak highly enough about my mom and dad. You know, they are truly my number one fans. Um, nobody could ever compare. And my mom and dad, they listen to absolutely everything that I do. They're, you know, watching. My mom and I joke because she reads every Instagram post, every comment. So you know, I always laugh when I get all these negative comments sometimes. And I'm like, I wonder if they know that my mom and dad are reading everything. Like, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's just so
0: no, does she does she react and comment back to people?
1: I, I keep joking that I'm like, Mom, you should be my social media manager because she'll she'll get upset with me if I don't respond to comments. And I have to <laughs> uh, sometimes tell her that, Mom, I physically do not have the mental capacity today to do that. And it's not that I don't want to. I'm just exhausted. So, but I've just joked, I'm like, you should be, you should be my social media manager, mom, you can go through and respond to all my comments. But, um, but yeah, she, uh, she definitely is there and, you know, she knows what's going on (laughs) every step of the way.
0: So the the flip side of that story is I, I go to the same hairdresser all the time and she works out, she doesn't do CrossFit, but it's like a boot camp type workout style. And I went in like two months ago to get my hair cut and she goes, she knows I do this podcast. And she's like, do you know Kelly stone? And I said, what? Like, where did that come from? And she goes, Oh my gosh. I follow her on Instagram. She's my biggest inspiration. That chick is a badass."
1: (laughs) That's so sweet. I love, honestly, I love hearing those stories because social media is such a weird place. You know, like it's opened so many doors for me. I feel like I've been able to interact and meet and connect with so many amazing people. And I hear these stories, you know, like that, that truly bring me joy. And so that makes it worth it and kind of offsets some of the negative side. (laughs) Yeah. As much as I try not to let affect me, you know, I'm human. And sometimes it's just, it's just brutal, the things that you see. So, um, but yeah, thanks for sharing that.
0: (laughs) So this year you do really well in quarters and you have been assigned to the granite games up in minneapolis minnesota Um, are you excited about that or were you hoping for somewhere else
1: i'm excited um i tried to because we didn't really have a say try to not get too attached to any one idea i would say my only kind of reservation hesitation about that location is that it was just all outside last year and i'm kind of wishfully thinking maybe it won't all be but, you know, I do replay little bits of, uh, the ruck run and, you know, being outside and watching granite games and how hot it was. So crossing my fingers that it's either not all outside or we get some cooler temperatures. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I think one thing with CrossFit, you can't really get attached to anything and, um, you kind of shoot yourself in the foot if you do. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to be one of the later weekends. I think that's helpful also.
0: Yeah. I, uh. I don't think it's normal to be in the high nineties in Minnesota um, ever.
1: Yeah. Um, but it so. was
0: brutal. It was brutal there. I don't, I'm not optimistic for out or for indoor because I didn't, I didn't even see an indoor facility. Yeah. When we were there.
1: Thinking.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but there was nothing long. Yeah. The only run was around the stadium. Yeah. So there were short runs.
1: I'll be interested to see if that shifts this year because I know that Granite Games got a lot of um, flack for that, you know, that it, it didn't really seem like a very well-rounded test as compared to some of the other ones. Um, I know they are doing CrossFit is outlining two events that will be at all of the semifinals. So I think that's an interesting change this year. So I'll be very interested to see what happens as far as length of events.
0: Yeah, but it is, it is a beautiful facility and it is brand new, state-of-the-art, Um, really cool. And like the one hotel is right there on the grounds. All you have to do is walk around a pond to get to the stadium. Uh, and that's the, that's super cool. But I do have to bring up that there have been some shifts in the lineups. Um, and granite games was affected pretty heavily where three member, three members of the were moved from Atlas games to the granite games. I have publicly stated how unfair I think that is. You do not have to make a, a political statement here if you do not wish to, but if you do have a reaction, what was that to that that situation?
1: Yeah, I will uh, be honest that I have been working through a lot of emotional reactions to that in particular this week. It's what prompted some sports psychology this week and. I think ultimately, where my reaction comes from is just disappointment in how CrossFit as an organization is handling the semifinal seating process, you know, it's, it's no fault of the athletes for their choices, you know, I'm not somebody that thinks whether you have a vaccine or not, or whether you have a passport or not. Like, I don't think that those are decisions that people should be forced one way or the other. But I think that if CrossFit is choosing to accommodate for those things, that's something that very easily could have been targeted preceding. And so if you are gonna move, let's say a top seed into another semifinal that already has a very stacked field, that the least you could do is see if another top seed would be willing to shift. Um, I will say publicly, I have sent a response to CrossFit asking for consideration to be moved to Atlas Games, you know, saying that I would be more than willing to do that and I have yet to receive any response back. So to me, that's disappointing that it just gives the air that CrossFit is playing favorites and isn't being cognizant of the impact of their actions on the athlete pool as a whole. So. I'm not asking for special treatment. All I'm asking is for a fair shot at qualifying. And at this point, I don't feel like I have
0: that. Yeah. All of these were known issues prior to seating. So there's no excuse that this is happening after the fact. Yep. I, I agree with you that everybody ha- is entitled to their opinion on what they want to do with their own body, whatever if whether they want to be vaccinated or not. Um and there, there are more serious situations going on that are not vaccinated related that have not been dealt with that were known issues before the seating and the people are left in limbo. So yes. it this is a cluster that did not have to happen because all of these were known prior to seating.
1: Yeah. So it's like at minimum, you know, let's be consistent in making athlete accommodations. You know, just as you said, there are several athletes who are very well known to be, you know, having difficulty leading the country and coming back And it's If you're not going to provide accommodation for them, then why are we accommodating others? And again, it just, it gives the air of prioritizing kind of your top names, your golden children in the sport. And it really is disheartening as like an athlete who has really sacrificed a lot to just have a fair shot. And that's all I can kind of come back to.
0: Yeah. And I'll point out that Last year, Amanda Barnhart and fisagafi were at the MAC and this year they're at the Granite Games. So last year they got Tia put in their semifinal. This year they get Mal put in their semifinal. Those two should be launching protests all over the place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, going back, it didn't affect me directly, but I would have been very upset at that situation last year. Um you know, I think that in all fairness, if you're gonna make those shifts, add a spot to that one, you know, or or move a spot. You know, if you you just you look at the breakdown now of Granite Games versus let's say Atlas Games, and you know, there's phenomenal athletes across the board, but it's not an even spread right now. And it's not taking into account that you have several athletes who maybe didn't have the highest quarterfinals placing, but have been to the games numerous times, you know, a Danny Spiegel and Emily Rolfe, like. They are serious contenders. So it's just the whole picture just leaves a little bit of a sour taste. And, um, you know, I'm working through it because ultimately if they choose not to acknowledge or make any adjustments, I've got to accept the fact that this is what it is and dwelling on it isn't going to be productive for the rest of my training. So,
0: Well, as one of your biggest fans, I still think you will do fine at the Granite Games and I'll be rooting for you there. Thank you. And it is a beautiful facility. I I think it's a perfect place for you. Last year, it was the surprise region or the surprise uh, semifinal, and everybody there did well at the games. So, hoping that more surprises are in store.
1: I'm excited. I'm just crossing my fingers for a handstand walk event. Like, just, (laughs) (laughs) I want like one just knock it out of the part event. So, Either they need to come up with a pool somewhere or uh, I'll take an instant walk.
0: <laughs> a pool. Yeah. Um, so that that's actually in my notes. You have all these really cool posts of these handstands that you do freestanding. Um, is that something you were natural at or did it take years of, of being a gymnast?
1: I felt like I picked handstands up pretty quickly as a young gymnast. You know, I, I look back at pictures and stuff and I was... I was like a pretty jacked five and six year old, you know, like I started training pretty competitively from four years old on. And, you know, I think that when people look now at, you know, the discipline and work ethic that I have, you know, it's hard to develop that later in life, I think, absolutely. But I didn't do that. I've been doing that my entire life. You know, I worked with some amazing, but very strict Russian and Ukrainian coaches. And so I just developed this work ethic from a very early age. I, you know, did a ton of strength training and I was always, I think, pretty skilled early on at handstand stuff. So now I've kind of made it a point to just maintain those things as much as I can. You know, my my brother will just offhandedly always ask, oh, can you still do a straddle, you know, a press handstand? And so as long as, I've convinced myself that as long as I can still do a press handstand from sitting, you know, I'm not that old and I've still got it. So <laughs> I've got it. I try to do them every, you know, week or two just to like maintain that skill.
0: <laughs> so that leads me to a couple different avenues. One, what do you hope you see at Granite is it just a, a straight out handstand walk, or handstand push-ups, or wh- which do you prefer?
1: Anything on my hands is preferable, but I do love a good handstand walk. You know, I uh, if you guys follow the Wadapalooza events from this you know season, we had an event that was basically like a sandbag carry handstand walks, and we also had some burpees in there, and my team ended up winning that event, uh, which was just so fun. But I think that's that's probably the area that I excel the most. Could be an obstacle course or just a standard handstand walk. Um, but really any of those gymnastic skills, toes to bar, handstand push-ups, trickstand handstand push-ups are definitely events that I like to see.
0: So the Olympic lifting, did it come late for you? Or have you always been good at that?
1: No, that was really the only thing that I had no experience with when I started CrossFit in 2016. Um, even through college swimming, all of our strength and conditioning coaches were CrossFitters. So while we didn't do things like kipping pull-ups or Olympic lifting, a lot of the metabolic conditioning style of CrossFit was something that I was pretty used to doing. So that was kind of implemented early. So Olympic lifting came later. Um, and it's been something that's been a little, I would say slower to develop, but at this point, I think one of my biggest strengths as an athlete is I'm pretty well-rounded. So you know, kind of going back to your other question, you know, Hanson walks, absolutely. But really what I'm looking for is just a well-rounded test. You know, I think I fare well when there's a lot of variety, a lot of things that maybe poke at weaknesses that other individuals might have. So, you know, outside of, let's say that running piece, I think that I've pretty much knocked down a lot of those weaknesses, especially over the last year or two.
0: Okay. So I'm only going to ask like two more serious questions then we're just going to get the fun <laughs> stuff. Okay. You mentioned that you were a jacked five and six year old, but I also read in something that you wrote um, and I can't remember what it was for. I, but that you had some self-confidence issues because of being a muscular child.
1: I did. You know, it's just like, I feel like social media is brutal now as an adult Um, kids can be kind of ruthless too. growing up when you're a little bit different. And
0: you know, I was that
1: child. I was going to multiple practices a day. I was always kind of bigger and stronger, especially than a lot of the boys. And you know, I look back now, and I know it was them being, you know, self conscious, and um, you know, I shouldn't take, you know, I shouldn't be affected by that. But you know, as a young as a young girl, I was. You know, I had a lot of boys coming at me like, "Oh, let's arm wrestle," or "Let me see your muscles." And you know, it did affect me for a long time. And I, I not sure when I really made that switch of just kind of getting past it, but I do have very um, distinct memories growing up of just feeling like, you know, Oh, that didn't make me feel very good. And just being a little bit self-conscious of that.
0: When you've, you've done a very good job of keeping yourself in a community where that is accepted.
1: Absolutely. It's something I love so much about CrossFit. You know, the, it, it just attracts a certain type of person and there's such a bigger emphasis on, your effort and what you can do and, you know, bettering yourself. And it's so much less on, you know, let's try to be the skinniest, smallest version of yourself. And I think that's so powerful, especially as a female. Um, so, yeah, I think that's one of the the biggest things that really draws me to a sport like CrossFit.
0: So last serious question, you, we, we've said you're an overachiever. How much planning do you put into your post competitive career as to what it's gonna be, or are you just living in the moment?
1: I at present am just living in the moment. You know, I've had a couple, you know, a couple side businesses, couple ideas on the horizon that I would love to pursue at some point, but I have made the decision at this point that I have no more capacity to add anything else right now. So I am focused on maintaining and optimizing what I'm already doing. And just living in the ability to compete at this level of athletics. You know, it's something that I fully acknowledge is not going to last forever. I don't know how much longer I can train at this volume. I don't know if I'm going to get hurt today or tomorrow. And so it's something I don't take for granted. But one thing I just I realized with myself this year is that I have the rest of my life to make money. I have the rest of my life to pursue a career. I do not have the rest of my life to compete at this level in CrossFit. And I want to take advantage of that because I know that six months, a year, two, five years down the line, I won't regret not having made more money or pursuing, you know, pursued something else um, in my professional career. But I will regret not just try my absolute best to be the best athlete I can be right now.
0: All right, now for the fun stuff. (laughs) <laughs> so I I also read somewhere that you, um, your what you like to do for relaxation is travel. I do. So what is the best place you visited in the last couple of years?
1: Oh man, I will. Unfortunately, I feel like COVID has really put a knock on my traveling. Um, you know, I've done some smaller trips around here. My parents spend you know, four to six months a year in Mexico. So I love to go visit them there. But I would say, you know, one of my most amazing trips was right after grad school. I went to Europe for about a month with my brother and we went all around, spent a week in Greece. We have some good friends in Amsterdam and, you know, went along the coast of Italy. And it was really such an amazing time and opportunity just to be able to do that and see some other cultures and eat all the food and do all the things. Uh I'm itching to do some more overseas travel, though, soon, hopefully.
0: So my next question was, in four months after you've competed at the CrossFit Games as an individual, where are you going to celebrate?
1: Uh, I, Pending COVID restrictions, I am hopefully planning for a big trip this fall somewhere. Not sure yet. Um, when my mom and I have been really wanting to go to Egypt, that's been a big... Uh, on our to-do list. And I also scuba dive. So I've been wanting to dive in the red sea. So
0: uh, I, don't know if it'll... <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I don't know if it'll happen this year. We may be looking at next year for that one, but definitely will be a trip on the horizon.
0: Awesome. I also read that your favorite cheat meal is sushi. So what, what is, what are you picking as your first sushi roll on that night?
1: Oh, man. So what's funny is, so I used to always be a a sushi roll person. And then lately, I have kind of switched gears into more of like a sashimi nigiri person. So just finding places with really good quality fish. Um, I'm a big uh, toro person. If you've had like that fatty tuna, it's like the best thing ever. So I just want a big platter of all the salmon and tuna um, and just good. Yeah, good healthy food.
0: Yeah. I think tuna is my favorite food now. Like the good tuna, not the can stuff Yeah. like the fresh tuna.
1: Yeah. And that's been honestly the most interesting evolution for me just in terms of nutrition and everything is that I really don't crave a whole lot of, you know, crappy food every once in a while. I'm like, yeah, let's get pizza. Let's do something. But for the most part, I'm like, I want like a good ribeye or like a good piece of tuna. You know, I want some good, like fatty, good quality meat
0: <laughs> or yeah.
1: fish. So that's what my body craves.
0: Um, so I know you remodeled your house recently. I did. Are you, are you happy with the results or do you have more planned?
1: I am very happy with it. You know, I'm, it was, Such a good time to buy it. I feel like I've already, you know, seen some really great value increases, but it's been nice to have my own space. You know, it's very comfortable. Um, I still need to do my bathrooms. I'm planning on ripping out a bathtub and putting in a glass shower and just making some adjustments there, but just, yeah, got to find a little time to breathe. So maybe in the fall, that'll be my project for this year.
0: (laughs) So, what percentage of the remodel do you do yourself?
1: i was involved in every piece but definitely not doing all the hands-on labor i was very fortunate to have a good friend and client um you know couple duo who i call my you know my do it all you know people they helped every step of the way and helped do a lot of the the work and i'm so grateful for them um it was one of those things where I, i look at social media and say okay these were people who had reached out to me you know, for some nutrition coaching, I worked with one on one. And then after the fact, we became really good friends and they helped with a lot of my remodel. So um, I definitely cannot take credit for that. But I feel like I did learn a lot along the way. And so I look at everything and I see, you know, like my painting. And that was my dad and my mom and I, we did my fireplace. And then, you know, those friends that I mentioned, they did my floors and doors and door frames and kitchen. And so it's it's fun because it everything Um, It's pretty sentimental to me at this point. So I'm going to have a hard time giving it up (laughs) whenever I choose to move or sell it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I find that every time I finish a project, my wife then is like, well, now we have to do this to match the new stuff you just did. And I'm now 18 months into this remodel of my house. And every time I think I'm done, something else shows up on the list.
1: Yeah, it's so tough because especially if you pick like a, you know, a color theme or a certain you know, type of genre of, you know, things you have to kind of get all the open spaces. And so I was very lucky when I did mine that I could stay at my parents' house still and just kind of do everything all at once. Like we really just ripped just about everything. So, um, you know, I was lucky that I was able to do that kind of all in one go. So everything kind of matches and it's just the bathrooms that just need a little (laughs) loving.
0: At least my wife doesn't like have me lay floor and then change the configuration of my kitchen. So now yeah. the floor has to be all redone
1: mm-hmm. oh geez, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah.
0: so he's speechless uh, yeah. yeah and then you get it's a hernia a from it and it just turns into a whole different thing yeah yeah it's a
1: lot the- there's a lot of pieces that go into it so so many things that i didn't even realize you know like my i had some really strange ones it's an older building so like I had all metal doors when I moved in and it was something I didn't notice right away. And then it was like, oh, like, this is weird. You know, we need to rip all the doors and door frames. And that was not an easy project. So, um, (laughs) yeah, it's just it's just funny. The things you come across of like, what what is that? You know, or in my kitchen, there was my cabinet length was just a little bit off about a quarter inch in terms of the space, you know? So when I had sent in the dimensions, they said, Oh no, it must, you must've measured incorrectly. It should be this. And I'm like, okay. And then we show up to put my cabinets in and they don't fit. And so we ended up having to cut drywall off on the side and it's such a, you know, big production, but you know, you just, you just never know what you're going to find in construction and remodeling. <laughs> <Yeah. So. coughs>
0: Excuse me. So I also found an article that you were a major contributor to in muscle and fitness magazine.
1: Oh yeah, that was fun.
0: And so how cool is it to be known as an authority in weightlifting and you get to, to do contribute to a piece like that?
1: Yeah. Again, it was just another really cool thing of being involved with companies and getting exposure to where people kind of like, Oh, you know, let's, let's see what she has to say. So I feel like any of those opportunities, it's great just to be able to hopefully put some real concrete information out there that's not some quick fix. I just, I get so fed up with all of the just bogus that we see out there because there's just not a whole lot of monitoring of those things. So, you know, I try any chance I get to just put out real information of, hey, if you want to build muscle, this is what it takes. Hey, if you want to change your nutritional habits, this is what it takes. It's not some, quick fix diet plan it's not you know you can just wallow away in the gym and not do anything and expect to build muscle you know like those those things don't happen it takes hard work so um i feel like that was just another avenue where i got to kind of uh, put that information out there hopefully
0: <laughs> yeah. awesome and then so the last question i have for you is you were asked in a in a q and a who you who you looked up to and both of your answers were gymnasts so I, it's a two-part question. One is, you were a gymnast for 14 years. You were a state champion in high school. Do you still identify as a gymnast? And two, are are those two still your the people you look up to?
1: Yeah. You know, I think that one of the most defining things in my life was doing gymnastics. You know, it just... It took up such a big part of my life and my childhood and it's just like ingrained in me and i have such a love for the sport so even now you know i am a die-hard olympics watcher i'm a die-hard college gymnastics fan i was my mom and i were going back and forth you know about all the national championships happening last week for ncaa gymnastics and to me it's just it was my first love and i probably will never go away so i think that that's Again, I, I acknowledge that I can't do a lot of the things that I used to, but um, I still do identify as a gymnast. And a lot of that is, I think it just defined me so much in terms of the attributes that I have now. You know, the work ethic, the determination, the focus, and um, those are things that I value because they can't be given. You know, they you have to earn them, and they're, nothing, they're things that can't be taken away from you. So... Um, I think that impact you know i look at individuals who stand up for things in that sport and they're just people that i'm naturally drawn to so you know you look at uh simone biles and everything she's done for the sport and just being a phenomenal athlete amazing like i i don't think people can fully grasp the caliber of athlete that she is and the things that she's been able to do are just mind-boggling like i think you know you watch her go up and flip three or four times. And it's like, oh, that's cool. But I don't think people have any idea how difficult that is. And then watching everything, you know, she went through over the Olympics, and standing up for herself and her needs, you know, when she was getting so much backlash, like, I can't even imagine how difficult that was. But, you know, as somebody who has struggled a lot with mental health and pretty severe anxiety, I think that seeing athletes like that start to really stand up and acknowledge that those are factors and that sometimes we've got to take a backseat and take care of ourselves. You know, I, I definitely look up to her still. And I think I also mentioned Ali Raisman, you know, I was uh, pretty profoundly impacted by all of the stuff that had happened with Larry Nassar. And, you know, I'm grateful that I was never in, in an experience in my gymnastics career where I was exposed to that. But I see how easily it could have happened and it's so heartbreaking just to hear the stories for that and so seeing all the work that she's done to just kind of stand up you know and fight for you know those athletes and to give them a voice i think was something that just has really stuck with me
0: yeah i forgot there's two more questions one (laughs) is you always compete at wadapalooza is that the most fun place to compete
1: It is honestly my absolute favorite. I, you know, even having been to the games and other places, those are great experiences, but there is just something about Wadapalooza, that venue being in Miami, you know, I always get a swimming event, which makes me happy. And it's just always a well-run, well-rounded comp. And I just have so much fun there. So uh, yes, absolute favorite.
0: Yeah, this was my first time there this year. Uh, And being able to grab a cup of coffee and go to the Bayfront, and just no matter what event's going on, just have a cup of coffee, look at the ocean, and and watch an event it was awesome. Last question, super serious. How much power do the space buns have?
1: <laughs> I think they are very powerful. You know, I... <laughs> there was something that came out for the first time at West Coast Classic, and you know, I always I, at this point I feel like every major competition they've got to come out at some point. So uh, we were joking like at Waterpalooza, we had had a, l- a couple, you know, less events that we weren't super thrilled with as a team this year, and then the Space Buns com- came out, and you know, we got an event win, and so it was just like, you know what, these are these are some powerful things. <laughs>
0: So is it going to be like a Sunday thing? Like Tiger always wore red and black on Sunday. The space buns always come out on Sunday.
1: I don't know. I'll have to play it by ear. Maybe, but um, yeah, no promises. We'll see.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you may need that power a little bit earlier in the weekend.
1: Yeah, I may have to have uh, have them come out earlier. They're definitely a good one for like a handstand push-up event because then I have some extra space. You know, I can't have my (laughs) bun on my top of my head because then it's hard to do handstand push-ups, so... (laughs)
0: Well, Kelly, this was so much fun. Thank you for jumping on and catching up. Uh, We always appreciate you.
1: Yeah, so much fun as always. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast. Remember, you can find us now on YouTube as well as all major podcast platforms. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you use and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.